Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTB. Today's message is brought to us by interim pastor Derek Gatke. He is preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 4, verse 5. All right, the Bible. What is it? Uh, for many folks outside of the church, maybe some inside the church, it's just a bunch of old books, right? Many people that want to dismiss the Bible, they tend to dismiss it as a human construction. That's a bunch of old books. They're, they're way outdated, come from a different culture. They don't understand how we are. We're so much wiser now, us modern folk. They've been retranslated so many times with so many versions, like who even knows what the original text says, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I could get into that today, but we'd probably be here for like four hours. There are whole branches of apologetics and lectures and classes and books that answer those objections very well, uh, so I don't want that to be our focus today. Instead, I would like us to start with the premise of what do we as Christians believe the Bible is? From a Christian perspective, we believe the entire Bible is the inspired word of God. That's usually what we call it. As our passage puts it today, all scripture is breathed out by God. So what does that mean? Uh, When we say that God directly inspired the Bible, uh, what we're saying is that no matter who actually wrote down the words, he's the author at the end of the day. It would be compared to uh, when a secretary writes down her boss's dictation. You don't say the secretary is the author. It's the boss, right? Everyone takes that email as this is the boss's words, even though someone else wrote it out. To some degree, this belief uh, that we have stems from what the Bible says about itself, like in today's passage. And I know for some folks outside of the church, if they hear that, like, you can't have the thing you're trying to defend defend itself, that doesn't count. Fair enough. There are plenty of sections in the Old Testament where we are getting literal quotes from God, so that's where we can point at that and say the Word of God. But the main reason that we as Christians hold that the Bible is the inspired word of God, is because of what Jesus said about it. In Matthew 5, verse 17 through 18, uh, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, what the King James Version calls, not a jot or tittle, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Sorry, I love the phrase jot or tittle. And and what that means is literally like the drop of ink from the tip of the quill that fell on the page in between letters. That is still considered sacred by Christ, unalterable, permanent. Now, why why is that important to us? Well, as one pastor that I heard many, many years ago once put it, uh, Jesus is the only person who died and came back to life on his own, so I'm going to listen to what he says. Um, And so that is why we treat Scripture as the inspired Word of God. There's plenty of reasons why in our own lives we can see it becoming true, but primarily Christ told us it is, so we trust that. Now, if the Bible is truly God's inspired Word, then we have to concede a couple of things. First, it has to be true because God's perfect and he doesn't lie. Now, when we refer to scripture being true, many of us refer to it as being inerrant, uh, which means without error. Now, thus, we can trust 
what the Bible says about the nature of reality, which, is, which includes God himself, it includes creation, it includes us. Because it's true, we can trust it. Second, the one thing we have to accept is that the Bible is everything God wants us to, to everything that God wanted to say to us about himself and how we can and should relate to him. What that means is scripture is sufficient as far as what we need to hear from God. I think many of us, I venture, Christian or not, we tend to ask God to speak to us uh, in our prayers, through a sign, a soft voice, a dream, God, give me a sign. What should I do about this, that, or the other thing? Or we do that thing where we treat the Bible like a magic eight ball. Uh, we say, God, what should I do? And you flip through the book and you go, and you look at the verse and you land on like Ezekiel 23, they shall cut off your nose and your ears and your survivors shall fly, fall by the sword. And you're like, ah, well, let's try it again. <laughs> you know. Now, how of, how, yet how often do we immerse ourselves in the pages and pages of God's word so that when we are at a crossroads, we might have at least some memory of where to actually look. I feel like we're so focused on these special alternate communications that we kind of shunt scripture to the back end. I don't know how many of you have worked in an office, um, but I'm, I'm guessing at least some of you have been on social media and have seen the memes. Uh, have you ever had to respond to someone with the phrase, per my last email? Uh, I've seen some memes where it's literally like they, they treat it like fighting instructions, like, per my last email, you know. Um, what, is, what is that phrase from? Well, why do you write per my last email? Because someone just responded to you where it was clear they didn't read a word of what was sent in your last email. God might give you a sign or a voice or an indication of the next step in your life. That's very likely. There's no reason to think that he wouldn't. But are we so busy looking for all these special communications that we neglect his email? If God does speak to you, is it going to have to be, per my last email? Now, if that is how we view scripture, if that is what scripture is, how do we read it? I think there are three um, metaphors we can use that might help us. Uh, we can read it as a letter, a mirror, or a story. Starting with a letter, if we accept that scripture is God's word, and thus it should be extremely important to us, why is it so hard for us to get into it? Uh, sometimes, I, you know, yes, we get thrown by those crazy passages in Ezekiel, or we hit Leviticus, and we're like, you know, I don't know how many of you have started, I'm going to read the Bible straight through, and you get to Leviticus, I'm like, going to wait until we study it in CG. <laughs> um, often, though, I don't think it's necessarily the, the weird passages that throw us. I think we see the Bible as a textbook, something that we should read to learn and grow from, but at the end of the day, it's work. It's just drudgery. It's like all this stuff. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes we might force ourselves to crack it open because the, we're, we're supposed to. We got to pass the class, right? 
Or you might kick off a Bible reading plan, like you, you did an, like an exercise program. You're like, okay, I'm gonna do it this time. Oh, I, I can see the results. I've got the image of what I'm gonna look like, and I'm like three days in, and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna have to keep doing this. Okay, well, we start to burn out. That, that can't be the way it's supposed to be, right? Like, it can't be that God would give us his word and it would be drudgery. Otherwise, how could anyone have written Psalm 119 with passages like uh, verse 14 through 16? In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And then later on in verse 46 through 48, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. How do we get to a place like that, where we actively delight in the Bible as much as in all riches? Now, as I mentioned, the Bible is everything that God wants to say to us about himself and how we can connect with him. In other words, at its core, we could see the Bible as a love letter from God. This was an idea put forth by Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher and theologian, and no, I do not know Kierkegaard that well, but Michael does, and he helped me with this uh, sermon. Uh, in one of his writings, Kierkegaard compared the Bible to a love letter, and reflecting how it's sometimes challenging to understand one written in a foreign language. If you received a letter like that, handwritten, no less, from your lover, or maybe like the person you're crushing really hard on, uh, wouldn't you pour over it with more intensity and focus than pretty much anything else you could read? And if you couldn't initially understand it, like let's say it was written in a foreign language, wouldn't you work all the harder to make sure that you do? Get that Spanish dictionary, pull out Google Translate, you would study that thing until you knew exactly what they were trying to say. Maybe handwritten love letters are a little too old-fashioned for you. Okay, let's, what about, um, have you ever got a vague text from someone that you're crushing on or you, you're, you're, you know, flirting with a little bit and, like, they send a text like, so, do you like, do you like chicken strips? <laughs> and what do you do? It's like, oh, do, do I like chicken strips? I don't know. Wait, are they vegetarian? Is this a test? But maybe they like fried or grilled chicken strips. I don't know. I'm going to have to ask some people. I'm going to figure this out. I got, I got to be careful how I respond because this, this might be it. Don't you run to your friends or, or your mutual friends and ask them, what do they mean? Does she like chicken strips? Has she had them in the past? Uh, or at the very least, you read it over and over and you, you just wonder at the possibilities, like maybe it's KFC chicken strips. Wait, do they have chicken strips? I should double check that. You obsess over it. And I know I'm using a silly example, but I feel like all of us have something like that in our lives. Some sort of wisp of promise of deep, romantic, passionate love. When you get something like that, you want to make sure you don't misinterpret the text or letter because getting it right is vitally important to the relationship. Again, if you respond like, I love chicken strips, and she's like, 
I thought you were a meat eater. You know, like something, well, uh, oof, well, there, there it is. Uh, I blew that one. All that to say is that many of us, I think when we approach scripture, we might feel like we have to tackle it ourselves. Um, we might have to feel like, I, I gotta get it right. I, I have to know this myself. I have to be able to answer correctly and I have to have the right answer in community group so that everyone knows I'm a devout Christian. There's nothing wrong with getting help to read scripture, asking your friends, study Bibles, books, articles, commentaries. If you hit these passages that are challenging to you, take a moment, breathe, get some advice, get some other thoughts, get some other perspectives. Does that metaphor help? The idea that this might be a love letter from God, something he wants to show you just how much he loves you, how deeply his love goes for you, how he wants to connect with you. But we can't stop there. The Bible isn't just a giant text gushing over how much you're loved, so there's plenty of that to be found. It's also a call to action. And that's where we see that it might be a mirror. It's one thing to reset our views of Scripture and learn to enjoy it, uh, maybe even love it as God's love letter to us, but anyone can study the Bible and find enjoyment in it, even atheists. There's plenty of scholars out there who do not believe a word of it, but they're fascinated to read and study and write papers on it, uh, but it doesn't reach them. It doesn't affect them. If we're taking it seriously that the Bible is God's word and it's to us and it's about us, then we need to let it affect us. When approached like this, it is as James puts it in James chapter 1, 22 through 25, like looking in a mirror. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What James is saying is if we only read scripture as like an observer, like a scholar, we're just sort of fascinated by it, rather than a participant in a conversation. We're taking God's word, we're putting it in a box or on a shelf, and it's like a curiosity or a conversation piece. We let ourselves admire it, but we're not letting it and vis-a-vis -vis God speak to us. If you look into a mirror, why? Is it to remind yourself what you look like? I was like, yep, I still look that way, yep. Most of the time we look into a mirror because we want to just double check. Is, there, is my hair good? Do I need to do my makeup? Uh, I found out recently that my son left some scratches on my forehead that were much deeper than I thought. Um, uh, he's a wily child. <laughs> um, but that's what we use a mirror for to see what we need to fix, what we need to change. If we don't treat scripture that way, it is just a book. Going back to our passage today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Scripture is a love letter, yes, but it's as much about you as it is for you. If you, if you're, let's go back to the love letter. If your dearest love or your crush was asking you to do something, change a bad habit, treat them differently, what have you, would you rush to do what they want? Just like, yes, whatever. I, I just want to be closer to you. Whatever request you have, I'll do it. Or would you sit back and think, hmm, interesting. Of course, I see why that I probably should do that. But let me, let me think it over. I'm going to take a few months to study up on this. I'll read a bunch of online forums and bloggers and, and some cherry-picked experts who I know align with my preferences. And I'll get back to you as soon as I've, I've proven to myself that things are fine the way they are. Would you treat your love like that? Would you treat their request like that? If the Bible doesn't hit you ever, if you read every single passage and you're never like challenged or confronted or see something in that mirror that you don't like, I don't think you're reading it. Now, that all being said, if the Bible is just, is the Bible just God telling us that he loves us and what he wants us to do in response, kind of a part affirmation, part instruction manual? To some degree, yes, but to a far larger degree, the Bible is a story. As much as we need to approach scripture with the ideas presented so far, consider it as loving, a loving gesture from God, but also instructional, we need to bear in mind that all of it even the parts that we struggle with or we don't understand or don't like, they're really pointing to one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of dozens of books, various genres, all kinds of different perspectives and cultural backgrounds, and that does inform how we read it. Okay, you, you, we don't read psalms, with all, which is all songs and prayers and metaphor. We don't read that the same way we read the histories in 1 Kings or 2 Kings. If you treat psalms as literal, you're going to have a heck of a time living according to the psalms. <laughs> if you treat 1 Kings as metaphorical, you're going to have a heck of a time understanding world history or how we got to where we got to when Jesus came. Now, learning how to navigate all those aspects of scripture, genre, authors, cultures, that takes time and study. And again, help, commentaries, books, friends. But at the heart of all of that, as much as there's stuff to work through, at the heart, there's that story. The story of how God created the world, how we broke it, and what he's done and is doing to fix it. And us. And the culmination of this story, the climax for all of you literary folks, is in Jesus Christ. Going back to our passage in Matthew 5, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now that phrase, the law and the prophets, that's how Jews of the time referred to the entire Old Testament. The law was generally considered the first five books of the Bible and the prophets were everything else. Um, so this is one example where Jesus is calling out, I've come to fulfill scripture. We get another account 
where Christ elaborates on this in the book of Luke. Uh, Luke gives us an account of two disciples walking to Emmaus after Jesus' death and his resurrection, but they didn't know about that yet. And Jesus comes up to them, and as was the case most of the time, they didn't recognize him. His post-resurrection body, there's something about it that it didn't click. And they start talking to him. They share, like, hey, this is what's been going on. This, this person that we believed was the Messiah, he died. He was horribly crucified, and we think it's all done, and we just, we just don't understand. And this is what Luke recounts to us. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As much as we need to see ourselves reflected in Scripture, we also need to see Jesus woven through it. And once you grasp that all of Scripture is ultimately about Jesus, some of those harder-to-grasp passages just might start making more sense. The penny just might start to drop. When we read about Abraham and God asking him to sacrifice his first son, Isaac, and he gets all the way up to the altar. Isaac is tied down. He's got the knife in his hand. It's about to go. God stops him and provides an alternative sacrifice. All that business in Leviticus that makes us uncomfortable, all that stuff about being unclean and how you can't approach God unless you are cleansed through blood, suddenly that starts to make more sense when we think about Jesus. All those terrible kings of Israel, the, in, uh, one after another, this king, oh, he's kind of good, but no, no, he's bad. Even King David, who, you know, is from, for all accounts, was like the best king Israel had, committed adultery, murdered the husband, like horrible crimes. We see this pattern of terrible king after terrible king after terrible king, and it's like, you're just, I just want the good one. Where's, where's the good king? We see that in Jesus. Now, if that's how, how we read Scripture, why do we need it? Why do we need it? Is it just the benefits that we've mentioned that in some ways we've already touched, like um, if not the need for Scripture, we've touched on some of the benefits that like through studying it, you can learn the depths of God's love for you. Or if you let it, it will show you what's broken inside and how you can go about letting God fix it. And it reveals to us the person of Jesus. Just like you can't really love someone without getting to know them better, you can't love Jesus without learning more about him. And if all of scripture is about him, then every page is worth the read. But... There's more to Christ's relationship with Scripture than just information. If you go back and read the Gospels, and which if you're looking to start a Bible reading program, the Gospels are a great place to start, um, you should notice, hopefully, very quickly, just how often Jesus is quoting or referring to Scripture. Almost any time he's teaching, it's either, it's either a parable or it's scripture. People will ask him a question. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And he says something like, you have heard it said, or it is written. And then he goes into scripture, which is 
kind of amusing when he's talking to the Pharisees who had scripture memorized, and sometimes he'll be like, haven't you read? And they're like, <laughs> you know. Jesus is constantly talking about scripture, either directly or in reference to what he's teaching. He's so obsessed with the Bible, uh, which you know, was the Old Testament at the time, but he was so obsessed that he quoted it during his most horrific trials. When he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, again, he was fasting. He'd fasted for 40 days. I'm sure some of you have skipped a meal once or twice. 40 days is about the limit of human survivability. Um, he is dying of thirst and hunger. Satan shows up. He's like, hey, turn some rocks into bread, and we can go into someday what that all means. But he answers each temptation Satan provides with Scripture. He doesn't go into an argument of reason. He doesn't go into, well, that's a good thought, but have you considered these alternatives, Satan? He just goes to Scripture. That's his response. When he's dying on the cross... I don't know how many of you are familiar with the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quote. That's from Psalm 22, verse 1a. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if any of us could imagine on our deathbed quoting scripture in response to pain, in response to terror. Now, to some degree, this is something we should take to heart regarding how important Scripture is. If Jesus himself, the Son of God, fell back on Scripture this much, as the late Tim Keller put it, he was saturated with Scripture. Like, he couldn't help but respond with verses to anything going on. If that was true for Christ, do you think we're okay with a verse here or there or a five-minute devotional? Do you think that's enough? Look, like our passage today proclaims, Scripture is how God equips us for every good work. If you want to be ready for the trials of this world, and they will come, the world's broken. That's, that isn't changing because you're reading the Bible. But if you want to be equipped for it, if you want to be ready, if you want to be strong enough to stand up against it, if you want to be ready to resist temptation, like really resist it, not give in and immediately repent and feel bad. If you want to go through suffering and not be crushed by it or question, what is it all about? If you want to face your death with hope instead of despair, Jesus showed you how. He showed us how. Now, before anyone thinks that I'm saying we all have to memorize Scripture to the degree that Jesus did, though that is clearly a phenomenal goal, and I, I commend everyone to do it. But before you think that's what I'm saying, I believe that Christ's saturation of Scripture points to something more. In John chapter 1, we get a very fascinating opening to a gospel. John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Later in the passage, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We refer to Scripture as God's Word, which it is. And Scripture itself 
calls Jesus the Word of God, the Word made flesh, the Word incarnate. Now, I'm not saying they're the same thing. I don't think that is what Scripture's teaching, but there is a mystery there. That was, there's a choice being made to use those phrases to refer to these things. And at the very least, I think we can see a parallel between how we treat Scripture and how we treat Jesus. If you want more Jesus in your life, if you want to know that deep love, like really know it, if you want Jesus to be your spiritual spotter, you want to build up those muscles, you want him to be there to grab the dumbbells when they're too heavy, you need to get the word into your heart. And if that mystery, if you can consider that, sit on that, pray on that for a bit, then maybe loving God's word will take on a different meaning for you. And you can find the kind of delight in Scripture that the psalmists sing about. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.